though it started Friday, I wanted to focus today on the, the idea of the church New Year, which kind of begins today uh, with the first of September, but in some ways is more highlighted by the fact of when we talk about the birth of the Virgin Mary uh, in a few next week, or this coming week, actually. And the idea of birth and new birth and creation, recreation, and so forth, which seems to be this thing that God does repeatedly. But one of the things I think is important is this idea of what God brings about a birth and a new birth. And at once it is tied to and based in God's original intent that even we saw here in Genesis. But then it, it, it blossoms into the reality that we see embodied in Jesus himself. So the, the idea that, for instance, what God begins is like a woman who's pregnant. And there's the baby in the womb of the, of the mother for all those months. But at the end, the baby is birthed out and seen by all. Same baby in the womb, not a different one that comes out of the womb. And people seem to think that, you know, something new that comes about, you know, it just wasn't there and poof, suddenly it's there. Instead of this reality. This, we see this in the problem of many of the evangelicals who see the state of Israel as the fulfillment of God's promises instead of the idea that Israel is rebirthed and reconfigured in Jesus the way God always intended Israel to be. That it's about the people who are faithful to God and now through God's Messiah faithful to God versus just ethnically or biologically being quote-unquote of a certain ethnic group. So there is that. There is that once what is intended from the beginning and, and what seems to be in the ancient context, but then it, how it blossoms out and births out, consistent with what was conceived, not something altogether different. And I think that's one of the problems we think of, is that uh, it's almost altogether different. And you see that in the way many Western Christians look at the Old and New Testament as if they were two poles running concurrent side by side with each other instead of one telescoping into the other. Well, I think that's the truth with all of us. The idea of what God wants to do. And what God wants to do in our life is very powerful in, as, a, as a community of people, not just as individuals, but as people, because who we are as individuals is known against the backdrop of the communities that we're part of. All that we have become is a result of all the personal interactions in our lives, good and bad, good and bad. We're affected by the community. We're not somehow self-realized as if, as if apart from all that. But at the same time, it's like moving ahead, moving ahead. And one of the challenges we have, even in Orthodoxy, I mean, I know within Western Christianity, people are stuck in the last 200, 300, 500 years. And that's as far back as they go. And then they make this supposed jump back to the apostles as if there was nothing in between whenever the reformers or radical reformers came about and, and the death of the apostles. I mean, that's the way the Mormons think, that Christianity died with the death of the apostles and suddenly Joseph Smith found some golden tablets in New York and, and so forth. But a lot of Christians act as if that's the case. I mean, even people who are really Christian. But even Orthodox get stuck that way. We want the Orthodoxy we remember in the village 50 years ago or or Holy Russia of 150 years ago, or whatever type of thing. And we, we have this throwback kind of thing, 
but not always seeing how does a telescope into the present. It's almost like we're trying to recreate Byzantium or recreate Russia or recreate some, some time in Greece or something like that. And the reality is that Christianity moves forward. That's why I have this quote from St. Vincent of Lorenz, who I love a great deal here, where he says, living tradition develops, becomes firmer, but always progressing while remaining faithful to itself. So it moves ahead. It, there's different ways and new ways to kind of communicate and express the one eternal reality. You know, we don't do liturgy exactly the same way John Chrysostom did. I mean, there's some basis there, or St. Basil or whoever. The frame is there. The frame is there, but it's developed and so on and so forth because we're no longer in the Byzantine court. We're in this place now in this time and space. And, but we've taken the basic frame of everything and allowed God to move it in such a way to allow Christ to be incarnate, not in the 6th or 7th or 8th centuries, but to allow him to become incarnate in this century and this time and place. And that means change, and we don't like change. You know, when I hear somebody say, I, I joined the Orthodox Church because it never changes, that's delusional. But you know what, Orthodox, we're at fault for that because we're always thinking about the good old days in Russia or Byzantium or Serbia or whatever. And I'm not saying we, shouldn't, we should be historically ignorant. Again, the telescoping, we have to see Christianity passed through all those channels to get to us. But at the same time, we were never meant to be stuck in one place. Because even, for example, you know, real quick, we went to Greece as a family, you know, um, last summer before last. And it's not the Greece that I remember when I first went in the 1970s. And it's definitely not the Greece my father remembered, or let alone my grandparents remembered, would have known. So the culture moves. It changes. The question is, are the changes in harmony with what God has revealed through Jesus? God alone doesn't change. We change. We change. And one of the things is then, how do we allow the apostolic tradition to make itself manifest? When I, when I was teaching, in, and will be teaching again, but at, at one of my classes at St. Sophia, I showed them a uh, video of the church in Africa. And in, in Africa, even the Byzantine Orthodox, not only the non-Chalcedonian, like the Ethiopians and the Copts, they use percussion. They have little symbols and things they claim. You know, the Ethiopians even have drums and so on and so forth. I have a version, actually, that was done in Greece of, of Psalm, uh, Psalm 136 and so forth. And it's done in rhythm, bum, 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 you know, and so on and so on. They actually have percussion involved in it. My point being that when my guys heard this, who came from the Ukraine, I got the comment, well, that's not orthodox. Really? Because you haven't experienced that, huh? And I think that's part of the things we limit things by our experience. And we are experiential beings, yes. But do we limit God to our own experience and see that the reality is, is far broader? And yes, orthodoxy is like coming into another culture. I know there are people who would be very shocked. You know, we hear things like uh, when people come to orthodoxy, women are never allowed in the altar. That's not true. That's a cultural custom that came about because of the, the hygienic issues that were not available to women back then. 
But I remember going to Greece and seeing women helping in the altar, cleaning, in the altar cleaning, which is still a big deal to go into the altar area, period. Okay. The difference was that the women who regularly did that were postmenopausal. And you can figure that out biologically why then. But when I go to a woman's monastery, and I, I've done that where I've been asked to serve to help the priests out, who's in the altar with the censer and the candles and coming out of the procession? It's the female nuns. And many of them are definitely premenopausal. So people go, oh my God, there's been a change. Well, no, there's been an adjustment. Still maintaining the original mindset of the church and its tradition. Okay? Living tradition develops, becomes firmer, but always progressing or remaining faithful to itself. We remain faithful to the mindset of Jesus and the apostles and their communities. Today is the actual feast day of uh, St. Phoebe. And St. Phoebe was a deacon in the church in Rome, female. Now, the, the role of the deacon liturgically was not the way it evolved over time, but she was a deacon nonetheless. Deacons were people who actually had a leadership role in the church. They were not only the ones who administrated on behalf of the apostles and later the bishops, but also had to be adept at knowing certain things, not only in terms of the business of the church, but I'll give you the example here because we see that St. Stephen is a great example where he knew scripture, he could expound scripture and teach and everything else. And we know there were women prophets in the church who spoke during the services, etc., etc. Phoebe, Phoebe is the woman that Paul will give the letter to the Romans. And I think we need to understand this. St. Paul's letter to the Romans, my joke is it's Paul's PhD thesis. And Especially in the West, people have argued over what the letter to the Romans means, you know, from Martin Luther yelling about this and Calvin reacting to that and this guy, everybody going back and forth and, and sometimes beating each other up over this and that and the other thing in Romans. And there's no question that there's incredible complexity, not really bad complexity, but to know Paul's train of thought, just to give an example, chapter 8 in Romans in Greek is one long sentence. A lot of semicolons but it's one sentence. And Phoebe brings the, the document, the letter to the church in Rome. Now back then there was no postal service. The way you, you transmitted mail was you entrusted it to someone to not only that they would bring it there safely, the document, but then when it was read that they could explain and answer any questions about that document. Can you imagine? if anybody's actually ever read the letter to the Romans, seriously, okay, she could answer all the questions. In other words, she was as adept at understanding Paul because she directly related with him and was his co-worker <coughs> as any other guy would have been able to do. And my point is that, you know, people would say, oh, no, women shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe what was true in Tsarist Russia or in Byzantium or actually not in Byzantium because they had women deacons, but, but, but in Greece and so on and so forth where, where it's been limited to monastics. I mean, one of the issues, just as a quick sidebar comment, is we're still trying to figure out what a deacon does. 
because we've reduced it to a stepping stone to the priesthood and we just see it as a liturgical kind of thing. And we really don't know what the deacon does. Okay? And the church has to get to that. So one of the things as the discussion about restoring women to the diaconate is are we really clear what a deacon does? Because like I said, we've used it sadly not as a ministry in its own right, it's a stepping stone to the priesthood, which is pretty bad. I mean, yes, I understand it's like learning all the jobs before you become the CEO or whatever and working in the different capacity. That's not a bad idea. But the role of deacon, presbyter, and bishop was what you were for most of your life. My point being is that change happens. And not because of what's politically correct and not because of what society is demanding. Okay, Because especially in a world where God is totally separate from the way we are to think, where you're not allowed to even bring your religious perspective into a situation. Like when any of, any of our kids are in a discussion at college about sex, and somebody says, when do you think you're ready to have sex? And somebody will say, well, I'm, I want to wait till I'm married. And they will say, why? And they will start to talk about their faith. And the other students will say, ah, ah, you can't use your religion and faith as a reason. Wow. Wow. But the point is the church isn't dependent on society. We are not. And one of the dangers we have is even as Christians, we bring our, our other perspectives in in a way that we don't try to look at the actual tradition of the church for what it says. I'm not saying we can be devoid of you know, presumptions or assumptions about things, but, but do we, can we look at the church and its tradition for what it says? And that does challenge all of us. You know, It does challenge all of us. That, as, as Metropolitan Maximus used to say, whatever is part of the perennial tradition of the church is valid. And not what, what I think should happen in Greece or in, in Russia or Switzerland, Geneva, <laughs> the communities there, whatever the gig is. It's what is the mindset of the apostles and Jesus and so on and so on. Because in the Orthodox Church, we have women apostles. Yes, apostles. Lay people could be apostles. And I'm not going to get into why that is right now. We, don't, we see a distinction between the ministry of an apostle and the ministry of a bishop. They're not the same thing. Look at Cyril and Methodius, the apostles to the Slavs. One was ordained and the other was a lay person. St. Nina of Georgia, who brought Christianity to the country of Georgia, albeit when she was captured and taken as a slave, but God used her in her slavery and brought about Christianity to a whole country and a kingdom. Now, I, I say all this also to say that I'm looking forward to this coming year as a church for us. What is it that God wants us to delve into and, and have rebirthed in and among us and, and seen manifest? Like Jesus says, we, we, we go into the, the scriptures to find the treasures that are once old and new at the same time still consistent with what God always intended and the actual reality of who God is through his Son, by his Holy Spirit, etc. But how? How? And you know, New Year's is, you know, people think of resolutions and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's not what we're about. The idea is like saying, Lord, how can we allow you 
to come into our lives as a community and personally so that I look like I am in communion with the community of the apostles and the way they would have thought and been open. They had to change. They had to change. And I'm going to start to wrap this up. But they had to change because look at the whole issue about bringing Gentile males into the church. If you don't, if you don't think that was, that was difficult, then we're missing something. Okay? Because, again, Jesus was not starting a new religion. He was rebirthing Israel. So the church was understood as Israel reborn. But Israel nonetheless. But people started to think, well, you know, if men are brought in, they have to go through the same ritual of circumcision like every other male, and so forth. But you see this change happening from, from chapter 2 with Pentecost all the way to Acts 15, where they have this council to determine about people who are male being brought into the church, whether they should be circumcised or not. And the church deciding, no, baptism was good. In fact, baptism replaces it because it's universal now. Both genders participate, etc., etc. Okay? And not because it was politically correct, either on the right or the left of the aisle. Because I go crazy when we look at things from the right or the left of the aisle, and nobody looks at what Jesus and the apostles thought. It wasn't because, well, let's be more marketable to Gentile men. That wasn't the idea behind it. Okay? It was because this is what God always intended, and now it's come to blossom. The, the unborn child is, is birthing out. So the question is, how do we let, as, as a parish here, how do we let the reality of God, the reality of Jesus, the apostles and their communities, their tradition, be birthed out in and among us, in this time and place? Not to recreate the past, but to allow God to be with us in the present. And as we look forward to how St. Matthew's still has its potential to, to reach, it isn't done yet. Will it be challenging at times? Of course it is. Look at what happened to Jesus. But he proclaims, the year of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it is to result in people's healing, restoration, reconciliation, being set free, and so forth. Because as we allow God to do that, the church becomes this environment this sacramental relational environment where this can happen. Not just a place to crank out ritual, but as a place where God is alive and birthing and that the sacraments become this birthing, healing, liberating reality to know who we are as persons through Jesus. Amen. Happy New Year. Oh, uh...